Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the American Horticultural Society, celebrating 100 years of trusted, high-quality gardening and horticultural information since 1922. We also receive generous support from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to save and support the communities of plants and related beings and conditions that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As we enter a whole new winter under the twists and turns of the COVID-19 pandemic, now closing in on two years, we're speaking this week to three tree geeks of San Francisco, who since the early days of COVID in late winter of 2020, have been crafting regular neighborhood tree tours throughout the city, getting people outside, engaged, and meeting their tree neighbors in all new ways. Mike Sullivan is author of The Trees of San Francisco. Jason Dewees is a horticulturalist and author of Designing with Palms. And Richard Turner is editor emeritus of Pacific Horticulture and co-editor of The Trees of Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. The three men got together in the early days of the pandemic and put their imaginations and frustrations to work, creating self-guided pop-up sidewalk chalked walking tours of the trees of the various neighborhoods of San Francisco. In the process, and at a time of high rates of emotional isolation for many, the three tree geeks, as they call themselves, got a city of people outside into the fresh air to meet and know better their tree neighbors all around them. Thank you three for being with me today as we face the possibility of social distancing restrictions all over again. Speaking with you about your creative and communal tree tours seems like a very good medicine with which to welcome winter. I am so pleased to be speaking with you. Thank you, Jennifer. Happy to be here. Thanks, Jennifer. So I want to get started with a little bit about each of you and your own history in plants and plant love, and maybe how you yourself became a tree geek. And I'm going to start with Jason Dewees, and we'll go in sort of alphabetical order, gentlemen. Well, let's see. I think I started to be a tree geek as a child um, when I was given a copy of the Pacific Coast Tree Finder, which is a very simple key to the native trees of the Pacific coast. And every time I'd go out of town with my family, I'd take it with me and try to figure out what the trees were around us outside the city. And I suppose I might've used it in the city once or twice, but really it was a a little paperback guide to uh, figuring out which kind of fir tree or uh, which kind of pine tree or oak tree I was looking at. And that's what I think of as the sort of the origin of my interest in trees is is those growing in the largely native landscapes outside of San Francisco. And I already introduced you, Jason, as a horticulturalist and an author. Can you share with listeners a little bit more about your current kind of relationship, both personal and professional with plants at, at this time in your life? I am the horticulturist at Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco, a garden center, uh, and Grubb and Nadler Nurseries down in Fallbrook, California, a wholesale grower. I'm interested particularly in palms, but in all trees and many, well, essentially all plants. And I specialize in palms, as you might guess from my being the author of Designing with Palms. And at this I guess at this point in in my life, um, I have a very omnivorous approach to to plant life. Although you know, I have my passions. So, for example, this past weekend, I had the chance to go to Santa Cruz Island off the coast of Santa Barbara and Ventura, and and there I got to see the native island oak, which I had never actually seen in habitat. I'd only awesome. seen uh, on the streets of San Francisco and in botanical gardens. So, you know, that kind of quest is what animates me. And then seeing plants in landscapes and how they confer beauty and 
complexity, natural complexity to the environments that they grow in is, is of particular interest to me. So the designed environment as well as the natural environment are intersecting for me a lot. All right. Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to move to you, Mike. How did you come to be a, a tree geek, plant lover person? Sure. So I grew up in the Adirondacks of upstate New York, mm-hmm. and I was always a nature person, an environmentalist. I moved to San Francisco in 84, and in the late 80s, I was looking for some way to volunteer. I, I decided I wanted to give back. I was an adult now. And I, I discovered this nonprofit group, Friends of the Urban Forest, that went out every Saturday and planted trees with neighbors. And the neighbors helped neighbors, and the volunteers helped the neighbors, and they would put 50, 75, 100 trees in the ground. It just, I started volunteering, and I just fell in love with that Saturday morning activity. And I, I grew up in a part of the world where trees were kind of boring. They were you know, oaks and maples and beaches, and they were all green, and they dropped their leaves in the winter. Um, and here in San Francisco, I was planting trees from New Zealand and Brazil and China and South Africa. And they, they had incredible fragrances and they had purple flowers. And I, it just, uh, it was an amazing thing to me. And I, I got very excited about it. And every week I was out there learning more and more and more and more. And eventually I began to geek out like Jason and Dick, I suppose. And so at this point in your life, what is your relationship professionally or personally with plants? And and maybe give us a sense of how old you were when that first volunteer experience developed this nascent joy in you. Yeah, I guess I was in my late 30s when I when I began um, the volunteer experience with, with Friends of the Urban Forest. And I am not a prof- professional at arboriculture or plants. Um, I'm, I'm the, I'm always learning when I'm out with, with Dick and Jason, which is one of the reasons I love, I love what we've been doing for the last year. It's an amateur thing for me. And it's, it's what keeps me sane. I'm a, I'm a corporate lawyer by day. So this is, this is what I, what I love to do in my off hours. And then we'll turn to you, Richard. It's so nice to speak with you again. And, and I should just note, uh, for the record that both Richard and Jason have been guests on the program before. And so uh, many people who have been followers of mine for any length of time might remember both voices. So Richard, tell us a, a little bit about, you know, your earliest germination as a tree geek. Well, I think it would go back to um, my earliest years in Detroit. I was born in the inner city of Detroit on a street that was lined with uh, a double row of American elms and uh, resulting in that wonderful cathedral-like effect that you only see in streets that are lined with American elms. Um, At, uh, I think, two and a half, we moved a little bit further out to the east side of Detroit, still a a street lined with American elms. When I was eight, we moved to the suburbs to a former former farmland, which prior to that had been an elm swamp where the elms grew naturally. Of course, this was the suburbs now, so they had taken down all the trees and the two remaining elms that we had on our small suburban plot died within the first year of Dutch elm disease, which of course wiped through most of the eastern half of the country. But I became sort of intrigued with trees, I think as a result of those early exposures. But you know, the odd thing was I was I was really fascinated by nature from the tiniest critter on the on the ground or in the soil to the, the biggest trees around. But as a contrast to that, I also loved cities. As a child, we would my mother would take us downtown on the streetcar and we'd do all of our shopping downtown. And I just loved that urban experience. Um, ultimately studied architecture at the University of Michigan, then went back for landscape architecture uh, degree and eventually realized that I really wanted to live someplace where I could garden year round. I'd been taking care of the garden at my parents' home since I was eight. But of course in Michigan, you can only garden about five months a year and I wanted more. So I chose San Francisco after visiting lots of cities around the country, always on the coast. And I felt San Francisco had the great climate that I was looking for where I could be outdoors year round. Um, Here I uh, worked for a couple of landscape architects, ultimately taught at UC Berkeley in the landscape program, teaching the students about plants because that was my love. 
And uh, that continued at Striving Arboretum, uh, where I was director of education and taught the docents, eventually moved into public garden management, and then had the great fortune to um, take on the role of editor of Pacific Horticulture Magazine, which allowed me to communicate with people up and down the West Coast as contributors, uh, such as yourself, Jennifer, to that magazine and, and be able to share, in a way, my own enthusiasm for the plant world, the natural world, with, with readers up and down the West Coast and, and beyond, I might say. And then I will have you uh, round that out for us with your, your sort of current uh, role of plants in your life and, and, you know, whether that's professional or personal, what is your relationship to plants right now in your life? Well, I, I retired as editor of Pacific Horticulture in 2012, so that's uh, nine years ago or so. And uh, after retiring, I continued to, uh, to consult uh, on garden design, on horticultural matters, um, advising um, uh, on horticultural issues at various public gardens um, here in the Bay Area and, and beyond. My husband died uh, just about a year before uh, COVID uh, struck. And so when we were suddenly shut down, I found myself focusing more in my own garden until uh, Mike and Jason contacted me about the whole notion of uh, doing these tree walks. Uh, they asked if I'd like to do one in my neighborhood and I knew exactly the tree to start with, which happens to be right across the street from me, a magnificent eucalyptus. Um, nice. and, and that's where I was. So I'm, I, here I am in this, in this role as one of the three tree geeks, um, still sharing my enthusiasm for trees. So that actually segues us beautifully into the topic of today's conversation. I want to set the scene just a tiny bit and maybe have each of you state your age and where exactly you live in San Francisco. We're going to go in reverse order. I'm going to start with Richard and then Mike and then Jason. I think that's the perfect way to do it because we're going in a descending age. Uh, I turned 75 this year, uh, what I call my diamond jubilee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I live in Noe Valley, which is uh, probably the best gardening area in, um, in the city. Okay. All right. And Mike? I'll be 62 in a couple of weeks. Uh, I live in the Coal Valley neighborhood, which I will, uh, I will, I will give Noe Valley a run for its money in terms of, uh, of trees, I think. Okay. All right. And Jason? I am 52, and I live in the Inner Sunset, uh, just about two blocks from Golden Gate Park, um, where trees are not nearly as uh, glorious. The, the neighborhood, at least, doesn't have the glorious trees that you might find in Coal Valley or Noe Valley, for that matter. Okay. Great. And then I'm going to turn to Mike. Give us the, the earliest sort of genesis story for this thing we keep referring to, but we haven't really glossed for people yet, um, this idea of these tree tours. What are we talking about and how did it start? So to set the stage, in a normal year, um, I, I do volunteer work for this nonprofit group, Friends of the Urban Forest in San Francisco. And, and what I do is I go out two or three times a year and do neighborhood tree tours. For a couple of hours, I'm with 30, uh, 35 people. We walk around a neighborhood and we stop at interesting or landmark trees and I talk about what I find interesting or fun about them. And uh, during this COVID year, that just wasn't at all possible. And it was early in the pandemic, I think it was, it was early March, um, I got an email from a, an acquaintance who had seen something about someone in London who was just walking around this, this area of London and scrawling on the sidewalk the, the, the identity of the trees and something that that person found interesting about them. And I, I got this email that said, Mike, you could do this. Um, and I, I thought about it. I thought I could do that. And the following weekend, I went out with my dog on a, my normal morning dog walk with a box of chalk. And wherever the dog led me, I stopped. If there was an interesting tree, by, tree nearby, I would stop and write down the name of the tree, where it was from, and something interesting about the tree. And that got a bit of um, social media attention. Um, I think Jason and I have some mutual Facebook friends. 
And it wasn't too, too long after that, I got, a, I got a text or an email from Jason saying, are you doing this? <laughs> and I confessed that I, I was. And shortly after that, uh, Jason and I decided to go into one of San Francisco's best trees, treat neighborhoods, uh, Forest Hills, and actually turn it into a tour. I don't, I don't remember actually who came up with the idea to turn my random scrawling into a tour, um, but we had a lot of fun. And at that point, Jason, I think you, you then communicated with Dick, and we decided to do a tour with the three of us in Dick's neighborhood of Noe Valley. And that's when all of this, it's, we've become very sort of regimented, not regiment is the wrong word, systematized, maybe is better. Right. We have, right. This, we have this great system that we've honed over the months. Um, okay, uh, wait. So about when was this? Like we, we shut down March 13th, the, the state of California shuts down. San Francisco's hit hard. And um, in fact, it stays in shutdown longer than a lot of areas in, in the state, except maybe LA itself as well. So about when was this and about how many trees did you chalk that first time, Mike? Yeah, I think my first chalking in Coal Valley was in, was in March. And this was a time in San Francisco, at least, where everything was shut down. Uh, right. You could go into food stores. That was about it. So the only thing that people could do outside of their homes was kind of walk solo or with your immediate family. And so part of the appeal of this was it was something for people to do outside of their home. Yeah. Um, yeah so that first that first Saturday, um, I'm pretty sure it was in March of, of 2020. And then I think Jason and I did our Forest Hill tour a couple of weeks after that, two or three weeks after that, maybe early April. And then okay. the, the system happened in late April, 2020. That's when we really got, got, going. got going. So that very first tree tour that you, you, you know, tree tour in quotes, because at this point it was still sort of nebulous. Do you remember how many trees you chalked and can you remember some of the species and, and what exactly you wrote down for, for one or more of them? The Forest Hill tour, we probably did 30 trees, I'm going to guess. There are some great trees in that neighborhood. There's one of the city's um, best monkey puzzle trees, which is one of those just iconic trees that you look at it and you say, that's something unusual. There are uh, a lot of uh, trees from, from that genus, the Aracaria genus, um, from the Southern Hemisphere that are, that are interesting to look at, um, Norfolk Island pines. It's a great neighborhood. There are no over, overhead wires. And... The neighborhood actually pays collectively to take care of its trees, so it's a it's a great neighborhood, and it was not surprising. I, I think, Jason, you might have picked that neighborhood as a as our first as our first try. This is Cultivating Place. We're speaking this week to three tree geeks of San Francisco, who since the early days of COVID in late winter of 2020, have been curating neighborhood tree tours throughout their city, getting people outside engaged and meeting their tree neighbors in all new ways. We'll be right back after a break for more from the three tree geeks of San Francisco and their hashtag COVID tree tours in the Bay Area. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible through proud support from the American Horticultural Society. Soon to turn 100 years old and still growing strong, the AHS is committed to integrating science, education, social responsibility, environmental stewardship, community, and joy, the joy that reminds us all of the vibrancy and relevance of gardening in our world. Gift memberships to the AHS make great gifts for gardeners of all levels, ages, locations, and interests. Listeners of Cultivating Place receive a $10 discount on annual individual membership to the AHS. For the special Cultivating Place rate of just $25 a year, head on over to www.ahsgardening.org forward slash cp and give yourself or someone you love the gift of good gardening information. Cultivating Place is also made possible in part 
by generous support from the California Native Plant Society on a mission to save California's native plants and places using both head and heart. The California Native Plant Society's festive winter games, Wreath Masters, is back for season two. And the deadline to submit entries is this Sunday, December 5th. I've been seeing some of the entries online and on Instagram already, but the full showing will be amazing. Mark your calendars for Thursday, December 16th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time for the virtual awards ceremony and judging festivities with me and the fabulous floral Katie of Eothen. For all the information and links, visit www.cnps.org forward slash wreathmasters. I am looking forward to seeing all of you and all of the wreath loveliness then. Hey, it's Jennifer. With a whole new winter of pandemic complications and complexities in front of us, or so it would seem, there is something I love about these three tree-loving humans, offering these tours of trees and human and nature community out into the world. There is the age-old seasonal story of the gifts of the Magi, and somehow the three tree geeks of San Francisco seem right up there in our world at this time of year. What better gift than knowing the tree neighbors all around us better and more truly? We're back now to our conversation with Mike Sullivan, Dick Turner, and Jason DeWeese, three tree geeks, as they think of themselves, of the San Francisco Bay Area, who've been creating self-guided, sidewalk-chalked tree tours of the San Francisco Bay Area neighborhoods throughout the pandemic. They get people outside meeting their tree neighbors. As we come back, Jason describes some of the early iterations of the hashtag COVID tree tours in San Francisco. I think I first actually heard about the chalking of trees in the same way that Mike did. Um, I have friends in Walthamstow in London where this was happening, and I think one of them sent me a message with a photo of a chalked tree. If not that, it was through social media. Um, and then I saw the markings that, that Mike had done, although not credited to Mike. Um, and I wanted to correct the common name on one of them. <laughs> and then it occurred to me it might have been Mike because it was, it was uh, Coal Valley. Um, and so that was sort of how, the, how it arose. And and actually to give further background, um, the reason the three of us have you know, have a collaboration, I think is partially rooted in um, a list of trees that we had put together together um, as we, as we um, lobbied a city garden gardener, garden administrator to plant interesting trees in keeping with uh, the tradition in Golden Gate Park. And that was some years ago um, that we did that. So that was sort of the, the, the very origin of our collaboration, but the, this tour is, is a different project altogether, um, the self-guided COVID tours. So Mike starts this thing, you see it, you recognize it as something you've kind of heard of before in England. You ask him if it's him doing it. He says yes. You decide to do the Forest Hills tour. So that's the first one, and, and Richard's not yet on board. What do you do in this Forest Hills tour, and how do you at this point like actually make it clear to anybody who wanders across it or who reads about it on social media that it is a tour, and how do you decide what pieces of information you put with chalk on the sidewalk for people to find. I think I followed Mike's lead at the beginning and we we sort of set out this this three-part label. It's a botanical name, it's a common name, and in parentheses, a country of origin. I do think that on that first tour in Forest Hill, we numbered them. I'm pretty sure we did. 
And we followed a tour that Mike had published in his book, The Trees of San Francisco. Oh, okay. So it was it was it was preset for us. We didn't we didn't wander so much um, as we do now because we were following an itinerary that was published in the book. I think we expanded on it. I think. And there were about thirty trees. I think Mike said, "Is that right?" Yes, everything from huge established uh, Monterey pines and cypresses at the at the neighborhood clubhouse uh, to fairly newly planted trees that were perhaps unusual or common. We we chose both, and of course, again, they were some of them were published in the book already. How do you, or how did you then, and then maybe that's evolved, how do you alert people? Mike had started using the hashtag COVID tree tour on social media, and, and Mike is on Instagram and, and Facebook, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram. And All right, and then um, I'll go ahead and pull pull Richard in here. And so these two get together. There's some precedent to you three being a trifecta of tree joy. And they call you up and say, hey, we want to come and chalk Noe Valley. Tell us about that experience. Like when they called and and then how how you decided, you said you already knew the tree that was going to be the kickoff tree. Tell us about that, Richard. Well, uh, you know, I've lived in this neighborhood for, at, at that time, a year ago, I had lived here for in excess of 38 years. So uh, in the same place. Um, so I've kind of gotten to know the trees in the neighborhood because I, I walk to the 24th Street to do all my shopping and go to the gym and the bank and the post office and everything. So I pretty well know the neighborhood. And over the years, I've watched uh, watched new trees be planted, old trees uh, get older, sometimes disappear. And I'd always been fascinated by the diversity of trees just, just within a few blocks of where I live. So when, uh, when Jason and Mike contacted me, I said, of course. And I can think of half a dozen trees right away that would be appropriate members, uh, appropriate stops along this walk. When we first met across the street from my apartment at this gorgeous eucalyptus, I started asking them how what they'd been doing on the two previous uh, chalked walks in Coal Valley and Forest Hills. And what struck me was that, <laughs> and perhaps more obvious for me as, as the senior member of the Tree Geeks, I don't, do face, uh, I don't do Instagram and Twitter and all that sort of thing. And I thought, there's gotta be another way to get this information out so that people can find out about this tour. And so I suggested that, that um, we do this in order, ending up back at the same place. I think that was Mike's pattern already. Um, but that we write up the itinerary with the street addresses so that we could post it somewhere. And then Mike mentioned that he had his own website, uh, sftrees.com, and he's got a blog there. We could easily post it on the blog. And so in that first, it was probably about a four hour walk, I think, I, I believe we covered maybe 46 trees in the neighborhood, uh, probably 43 different trees. I think we repeated a couple. Um, and I took diligent notes on the, on the street addresses and, and all the information. And then I'd also photograph what was chalked on the sidewalk to make sure that we got the information consistent and just offered to, to type all this up and send it off to Jason for editing and, and then on to Mike to uh, to post. That's so great. So it takes maybe at most 48 hours to get it out onto the onto the website. This is April now, late April, I think that the three of you coalesce into the 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 full group. Um at this point what kind of feedback are you getting from people? I'll start off um the, um, my concern, as I mentioned, was that we needed mm -hmm. to get the information out, um, uh, not doing Instagram or, or Twitter. I didn't know how those, how one learns about all that. Uh, but I started spreading the word to all my friends and actually posted it on the one social media site that I do occasionally um, uh, get involved with, and that's next door for this particular neighborhood. 
And just and so much of what shows up on Nextdoor, quite frankly, is kind of negative. Right. Um, concerns about someone crime stole my bike. And right. Thing. And I thought this would be a really, yeah, a really positive sort of thing to add to the offerings on that. And we got tremendous response immediately. And I could see because I look out my living room window at that first tree and I could see people stopping within within a, a day of the of the. Uh, itinerary being posted, I could see people walking along, had it on their phone, walking in, in the order uh, of the um, of the tour. Um, I also offered uh, to lead some of my neighbors and other friends in the city on that same tour. They were all really intrigued about it. And along the way, we keep meeting other people. Um, right. <laughs> who, so it's been, it's, it was really a, quite a wonderful um, sort of sociological experiment in addition to a horticultural, botanical, uh, arboricultural uh, sort of experiment, but to, to get people involved in, in thinking about the trees in the urban environment and specifically in our urban environment. Um, I'm not sure who to address this question to either, but the article that you sent me this morning, Richard, was really uh, was really interesting. And one of the interesting things about it was the brief history of the pre-contact environment that is now San Francisco. And, you know, it is now a heavily modified human environment, urban. Um, and there is this urban forest within it, and it is an incredibly diverse urban forest. Would one of you be interested in sort of distilling that uh, pre-contact uh, description of the environment and the state of trees then, and maybe, you know, bringing us forward to the, the biodiversity of the San Francisco urban forest now. I think I'll jump on that. <laughs> this is Jason. Um, San Francisco was home to one of the largest dune systems in California. So about a half to two thirds of the city is underlaid with uh, sand, much of which was a stabilized dune system further from the ocean and you know where uh, scrub plants and, and grasses, um, as well as some oak groves had established themselves. And in hollows, you, you, you would see uh, willows and, and the occasional alder grove. And then other parts of San Francisco were and still are um, occupied by prairie environments on uh, clay and rock and loam substrates, as well as scrub, northern coastal scrub. And there too, you would also find the occasional uh, oak woodland with some buckeye. And it's pretty clear that there were probably some madrones scattered here and there, uh, some California Bay here and there, and possibly Douglas fir. But for the most part, the tree of San Francisco is the coast live oak and uh, the buckeye. Those are the two trees that you would see in great numbers in San Francisco before um, European contact. And the tree cover did not amount to much, but it was probably more than people think. And it's possible that a lot of the oak cover was, was cut for firewood early in, in the European contact period. So a lot of stabilized dune areas still have oak woodland on them in eastern Golden Gate Park. This is Cultivating Place. We're speaking this week to three tree geeks of San Francisco, who, since the early days of COVID, have been curating regular neighborhood tree tours throughout the city, encouraging people to get outside and meet and learn more about their beautiful tree neighbors. We'll be right back after a break for more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. So thinking out loud this week and taking off from where I left off in the last podcast break message about the, the gifts of the Magi and the three tree geeks of San Francisco. There's something about this conversation with Mike and Jason and Dick about the historical narrative held in the trees of their city, and really the narratives held in the trees of any center of human habitation 
that I find really moving. Trees are some of our most charismatic mega plant friends in forests, in our gardens, in our cities, in our imaginations. I mean, just think of the tree of life, for instance. According to NASA, forests are considered one of the world's largest banks for all of the carbon emitted into the atmosphere through natural processes and human activities. Trees cover about 30% of Earth's land surface, but they account for 50% of plant productivity. As much as 45% of the carbon stored on land is held in forests. They breathe for us, they shelter us, they shade us, they provide wood, they provide habitat for all the kinds of creatures who love trees the way we do. Trees can live to be ancient. One clonal quaking aspen community in Utah dates back 80,000 years. And individuals of Great Basin bristlecone pines are as old as 5,000 years. With more and more research, including that of Dr. Suzanne Seimerd and her work now out in book form, Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest, we now know that trees are far more communal and communicative than we've ever understood before. Trees are and have been compelling human companions, wayfinders, and signifiers of our place throughout our existence. They were here long before us as a species, and in our individual lives, those that we plant will be here well after us. Couple all of this with Jason and Dick and Mike's noting that the diversity of the trees, the diversity of their countries of origin, the diversity of their care and sighting stories, they parallel the human face of not only their city, but of our planet in these times. Finally, I love imagining the people finding the chalked tree tour information in San Francisco over these past few years. I love imagining each one of these humans putting a name and a country of origin and some other bit of personal information about a tree into their own system and how Bam! All of a sudden, even in isolation, even in lockdown, we are untethered from the hardest parts of our everyday, even if momentarily, and our imaginations are transported around the world, high above our own viewpoints and deep into the rooted core of the earth, by and with our tree friends and family. In introducing urban-dwelling humans to their trees and these trees to their people, the three tree geeks of San Francisco and all other knowledgeable tree folk doing like-minded work in the world, they provide us the opportunity for a journey lesson on looking, listening, and living. That's a pretty good tree tour. We're back now to our conversation with Mike Sullivan, Dick Turner, and Jason Dewees, three so-called tree geeks of the San Francisco Bay Area who have been curating self-guided sidewalk chalked tree tours of the Bay Area neighborhoods throughout the pandemic. When we left off, Jason had given us some background on the native plant communities of the Bay Area as the traditional and present homelands of the Ohlone people. As we come back, he talks about its natural history since becoming one of California's largest and oldest cities. San Francisco being the one of the earliest cities in California and on the West Coast, and because it's a port city, was a place where a lot of plants were imported from Australia, from Chile, from Europe, um, from New Zealand. And Golden Gate Park was begun in the the 1860s and was planted uh, by several renowned plants people, the most prominent of whom was John McLaren. And the diversity of trees in Golden Gate Park 
was a product in part of the of the port city itself and the fact that there was a lot of trade and exchange in plant materials. And so very early on, there was some diversity introduced into the city, but the street tree as an idea was not a part of that at all. So eucalyptus and you know the Monterey pine, the Monterey cypress were brought up from Carmel and, and Monterey and many other trees that you see today in the urban landscape. Um, at this point though, because San Francisco's climate is so odd, it's very mild. It, it rarely ever freezes in most of the city and it rarely ever gets above about 85 or 90 degrees. Uh, and because the humidity is fairly even year round, there's a wide array of plants that can be grown here. Uh, ranging, we saw at one point, we saw a sugar maple, <laughs> which is a very unusual tree to see in California. And a, you know, there are giant banyan-like ficus trees, uh, ficus macrophylla, the Morton Bay fig, and, and everything in between. And so that diversity is, is really a matter of um, gardeners, landscapers, landscape architects, landscape designers, just regular folks who aren't ever going to garden planting things that they like and that, that will tolerate the, the conditions that we have, um, including you know, our, our Mediterranean climate with our very limited right, natural right. rainfall. If, if I could jump in, yeah. there is an incredible diversity here, but there is a distinctive palette in San Francisco. And I often say to, to, to survive in San Francisco, a tree has to be able to handle no rain for seven months out of the year. It has to be able to handle sand under two thirds of the city, the winds that come from the, from the ocean and you know, getting planted in sidewalk cuts with compacted soil. So there's only so many mm -hmm. trees that can handle that and sugar maples are not among them. But the other thing that makes our urban forest um, distinctive, I think, is, is that the way the city, uh, for as long as I remember, has handled street tree planting is that the, the owner gets to decide what's planted. So it's not one of these cities where you go around the corner and there's there's you know five blocks of jacaranda trees on both sides of the of the street. The the owners get to decide, and so what that means is there's a wonderful just serendipity when you turn around a corner and you walk down a block. You never know what you're going to find, and and occasionally we find just wacky stuff. We think, how on earth did did a did a you know a snake bark maple end up on this street in in Noe Valley? And I think that's part of what makes it fun for me, and I think for Jason and Dick as well. It's just you—you you never know what you're going to find, and it's a—it's a thrill. Uh, some people like to collect rocks. Some people collect insects. I think three of us are tree collectors. That's a lovely uh, addition to this, and and I want to ask you to expand on it a little bit, Mike. Um, you know, what does this get to in us as humans? that it, it would speak to almost anybody walking down that street to be, you know, looking down, see the chalk, read the name, look at the tree and say, wow, oh, that's so cool. That's a, you know, whatever it is. And even if you already knew it, you know, to see the spelling or to see both names or to read one new fact about it, there is something, um, especially in that moment of this isolation and this physical distance to be introduced to this other neighbor of a tree. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about why that was important to you and what really resonates with the people that go on these tours and what they take away from them, because it's more than a tree name. Yeah, I remember there was a person who I kind of introduced to what was great about um, our urban forest a couple of years ago. And she explained to me that until she'd had that epiphany that she just, when she walked down the street, she saw green blurs to the left and the right. They were green blurs. And she was so appreciative that now they weren't blurs anymore. This, there were, each tree had a story and an origin and there were interesting facts about how it reproduced or the, or the smells or where it was from. And I think that's what, what people appreciate and, and like about what we're doing. It helps them appreciate the city in a, in a different way. The city is not just streets and, and Victorian and Edwardian homes. There's another part uh, to our kind of urban ecosystem and uh, it helps people appreciate that. Um, I, I remember we were, we did the, a tour of Buena Vista Park and a couple of weeks later, I saw a friend in Coal Valley. He said, hey, I think you're the guy 
that's that's helping to do those those tree tours. Um, there was a Tory pine across the street from me, and I've lived on this street for 15 years, and I had no idea. And I'm from San Diego, which is <laughs> the Tory pine is is native to a little area near San Diego. And he said, "Thank you so much." Now every time I walk out my out of my house, I I see that tree and I know what it is. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, so Richard, I'm going to move to you with that same kind of question. Like as you moved into this and you were, you know, one year bereaved of your husband and then you went into lockdown and then you started on this activity and are there, you know, anecdotes you can share about how this has impacted other people and, um, some of the joys you have found and or other people have shared with you through through this experience? I'd, I'd have to second Mike's um, thoughts about, um, about the enthusiasm that uh, people have expressed upon learning about these tours. On numerous occasions, you know, we've now done 28 tours in the last year in almost every neighborhood in the city. And what so often happens, um, it takes us three to four hours to chalk out a full tour. And they range from maybe only 30 trees at the fewest to, I think we surpassed 60 trees on one of the tours, maybe Petrail Hill. Um, it takes us a while to do that. And sometimes people will run across the early chalkings and then start following. <laughs> and of course they can move faster than we can chalk. So they catch up with us. And they, and their response is is consistent. Oh, you're the tree guys. You're doing this, and their 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 excitement at catching up with us and having an opportunity to chat with us, and to share, uh, just as Mike was explaining, their sudden um, realization of the diversity of the trees in their own neighborhood, trees that they walked under around, bumped into uh, for years perhaps, but had no idea of their significance, of their origins, and certainly not of their names. And the, the response of everybody has been just incredibly gratifying. Uh, we would probably do this if nobody responded right. because we have so much fun together. Right. But to have that response from the community, I think really spurs us on to continue this, uh, this project. Okay. And Jason, I'm going to move to you and ask the same question. I'm thinking about a couple of things. One, early on, we were all so freaked out and communicating as a community was so difficult. And I think people, I'm, I'm going abstract here, I, I, but I do think people were really, I think, heartwarmed to have this communication like, a message in a bottle or a scavenger hunt to interact with. And, you know, and people, you know, by the time the three of us started, people had been taking daily walks for almost a month on their own. And, you know, maybe it was getting a little boring or just, you know, just it was hard to see the end. And um, having this something new, something to change the environment around you and also to explain this the season as it's as it's unfolding, because that was one of the beauties of that time was going out every day and seeing the slight changes as spring unfolded. Um, and here you had this rush of information about some of the, the live things uh, in your midst. And then another detail, again, abstract, to try to explain the, the positive delight that we always encounter on every tour that we do is that people don't realize how international this plant palette is. And if you're not able to travel, you look at a tree, the Victorian box, which we've mentioned before, which is from Victoria, Australia. That's why it's called the Victorian box. You know, it gives you a sense of a different part of the world. You know, it gives you a sense of a, a place that you might travel someday and, and some just tiny little piece of that place that's that's in your midst that's near you and then to be fair we've also encountered pretty hostile neighbors who who believe that we are writing graffiti which is literally what it is but with chalk uh, on their sidewalk so it's not all positive response that we get and finally the fact is that like a message in a bottle it is sort of our thing that we're doing and we're we're just sending it out into the world and and hoping for a response 
but um, but we don't expect a response, and that's maybe what is so joyful about it. That's that's what makes it just so pleasing to to have people come up to us and say, "This is the third tour we've been on, and we just." <laughs> We just encountered you guys doing it right now. This is the first time we found you. <laughs> so that's just great. That's so fabulous. So uh, so I'm going to push back a little bit on this message in the bottle. And and I love, you know, that in in such a moment that was so contracted and our, our views and our visions and our experiences were so contracted to all of a sudden have your perspective lifted by realizing that the tree you see every day you know, is from New Zealand or South Africa or wherever it might be, um, or just down the coast, um, is there, there's some great shift in, in our own importance or impact or something perspective. If you were to think about it, not that you had it, not that you set it out as an agenda, but as you think about it now and you cast your imagination into the future, what would be your greatest hope from this activity um, and it's it the way it lands on the people who are being expanded by it, Jason. Wow, that's a big question. Um, you know, my hope is that is that people really are able to open their eyes to these these sort of natural beings and the context from which they come around them, and that we, especially in San Francisco, it's really clear that it's the human hand that's altering the landscape. And it, and it may be through carbon emissions, it may be through a very uh, intense ecological restoration. Um, but I, you know, I think we've talked about in the past that the idea that sort of the whole world is being gardened by humans at this point. And so I think there's some exquisite ecological restoration that's been done in the Presidio, for example, mm -hmm. or down at Fort Funston. And, in other areas of San Francisco, and um, those are gardens because without the human hand replanting and maintaining these areas, they don't continue with the vitality that they need, and they bring this just wild diversity of of animal and plant life into one place that that elates us. You know, when we're able to to go into those areas. Um, at, by the same token, we see all sorts of of other organisms enjoying and, and feeding off of and roosting in um, these exotic plants that are planted throughout the city. And not every street tree is an exotic tree. I mean, we, we often encounter native, even San Francisco native trees, and we are always very careful to lay out all that information on the sidewalk for people as well. So, you know, we're so happy to see a thriving coast live oak in San Francisco and tell people about it or even just Californian coastal natives that, that are thriving as well, like that island oak I mentioned earlier. So I think just opening people's eyes to these, to these uh, they're not creatures, I guess, but these, these living beings among us and, and the, the, the places that they come from, some of which are our own city. What about you, Richard? Uh, Mike mentioned a bit ago, uh, one of the reasons for the diversity of trees in San Francisco is that property owners were permitted to choose their own trees. Right. Many of them did that on their own. Some did that through the Friends of the Urban Forest, which actively promotes the addition of street trees to the you know, urban environment. But about four or five years ago, the city changed the way it maintains the trees. They were also responsible for taking care of them and for taking care of the sidewalk. And that was getting to be quite an onerous um, uh, responsibility, particularly with uh, the um, extended drought we had, which caused problems for some of our oldest and maturest and massive trees like the ficus. So the citizens of San Francisco voted to put the responsibility for maintaining street trees on the shoulders of the city department of public works, I believe it is the urban forestry division. So many uh, of the residents assumed that immediately the tree in front of their house would be pruned or it hadn't been pruned in years, that the sidewalk would be re-poured to take care of, uh, of, of the bumps where roots had lifted it. And so our hope is, uh, my hope is that um, through these tours, people will 
first off, learn a little bit about the trees in front of their home or their neighbor's home. Take some responsibility for um, watching over it, making sure that it's well cared for. If there are problems that arise with it, to communicate with um, the city staff, to let them know that this is an issue of concern. Um, but to just t take sort of a greater investment, make a greater investment of themselves in the urban forest. And I'd like to think we're having some impact that way, just in the response that we got from people talking about how excited they are to know what the trees are. And when, when I was training the docents at Striving, we would always talk about building the support for the gardens by first teaching people about the plants in the collection. Once they know the name and the origin, they begin to become involved with it. And once they become involved with it, they see themselves as supporters and ultimately contribute to its, its, its welfare. And I'd like to think that same thing is happening in San Francisco. And Mike, we'll, we'll come full circle and come back to you. What, you know, at this point with all of these tours behind you and all of these people excited and learning, what, what would your greatest hope for the impact of this be going forward? For me, it's, I think it's kind of simple. Um, I, have, I have come to, to really love this thing that we have in San Francisco, the, the unique palette of trees that we have here for all the reasons that we talked about earlier, just how interesting they are, their stories, um, where they're from, their sense, the histories. And I just, I'm a bit of an evangelist, I guess. I want people to love what I love and I want them to, to be as excited about all that as I am. Here in San Francisco, we have something really special and uh, I love sharing it with people and I love being a, a bit of an evangelist about that to the extent that I can. And then, you know, knowing that you three are all these, you know, pretty high level tree geeks and in a, a league outside of most of our human knowledge of trees, have each of you had a surprise or a remarkable tree that you've met or a remarkable fact that you've learned through this process and been able to share with others that you'd like to share with us? So not your favorite tree, but just like maybe one you've learned or a fact you've learned or even a tree you already knew, but who you met on this tour and were just really struck by. And um, why don't we go in reverse order again? I'll start with you, Mike, and we'll work our way back to Jason. Well, this will be the easiest for me because I am the uh, I'm the non-professional here. I learn I learn like twenty things every time I go out on a tour <laughs> with these two. Um, if I just have to think about um, a particular one, so um, Jason has a remarkable ability, which is um, there's a there's a a beautiful tree uh, called the common name is China doll tree. And there's a, there's a, there's a huge one on 22nd street in Noe Valley. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I had no idea what it was. And I, I took a photo of it and I immediately emailed it to, to Jason and said, what's that? He said, Oh yeah, it's a China doll tree. Great flowers, great tree. Um, J Jason can spot one four blocks away. If it's just like just hinting over, over a house. Um, and I now as well, if, if I'm not quite as adapted as Jason, but um, I love that tree and I, I can I can spot it from one block away. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting better. Good job. I'm getting better. Uh, and let's go to you, Richard. Well, Mike stole my thunder on the China doll tree. <laughs> oh, for the same darn reason. it. But I would again go back to, um, well, just the three of us. Um, we each have a little bit to share, and I gained some wonderful stories from Mike that he developed for his uh, docent tours of city streets on behalf of Friends of the Urban Forest. Um, and Jason, of course, is uh, passionate about everything living, but particularly palms. And I can honestly say I've begun to learn to identify palms, which was never part of my repertoire before. Well so, done. Yes. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Okay, so Jason, this is going to be the hardest for you because you were a walking encyclopedia prior to this about trees. But anything you want to share with us? Surprises, new facts, new friends in your tree world? Well, the example that comes to mind is super nerdy and it's a little embarrassing. But for a long time, I had a hypothesis about a cultivar of the London plain that's called Yarwood. 
And with the help of Mike and Dick, we were able to essentially key it out at the right time when the flowers and the fruits were available to examine. And we really, between the three of us, decided we, that that hypothesis is correct, that this London Plain cultivar named Yarwood is in fact the eastern uh, sycamore of North America, Platinus occidentalis. It's occidentalis because it's west of the Mediterranean sycamore, which is Platinus orientalis. But in any case, um, that's just one example. But what I'm pointing to are two phenomena that I, I have um, experienced in, in these 28 tours. And one is the collaborative nature of knowledge formation, the way that it's the three of us discussing what we're seeing that brings us to a definitive uh, identification. And um, the other is just my getting a little bit more botanical in my approach. Um, I tend to have a kind of gestalt approach. I look at a plant, I, I have like a gut reaction identification, um, and I go from there to drill down and, and verify. But I, I feel as though I've gotten a little bit more serious on the botanical side to, to really uh, verify. It's not nearly as amusing. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it, I, I can tell you it's it's quite fun to to develop in those man, in those ways. And and really, it is that that collaborative nature of knowledge. I we never conclude until all three of us have sort of weighed in. All right. Is there anything you either uh, or all or any of you would like to add? to to the the joy this has brought you the meaning you you see it forming in the world or um yeah anything you would like to add okay i'll i'll, I'll go um continuing with the, the theme of evangelism i wish people in other places would do this i don't know why we don't see this in sydney or los angeles or portland or seattle um or new zealand so Let's have others in other places do this. It'd be, it'd be fun. I'll chip in my own um, observation that, um, and, and this is very much consistent with sort of a, a major a conversation going on in the country these days, and that is the issue of inequity. Um, and it shows up in neighborhoods in San Francisco where the more affluent, tend to have the most trees that are the best tended. Uh, the, the least affluent have the fewest trees, although interestingly, as we learned in the Bayview District, often the most enthusiastic plants people, uh, growing fruit trees and really proud of what they have in their own gardens and on their streets. Um, and in between, uh, is uh, sort of my neighborhood, which is not particularly affluent, although it's very expensive, but it is a very educated neighborhood. And we have one of the greatest diversities of trees in those kinds of situations. Somewhere along the line, if I were young enough to do a PhD, that might be an interesting topic to address. I'm not gonna go in there, but uh, maybe Jason will. He's young enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Jason? Anything you would like to add? I think that the value of trees in, a, in an urban environment is still not understood. I think, you know, some people would like to see only the coastal scrub and prairie and, and dune vegetation planted in San Francisco. But in, a, in an increasingly warming world, in an urban environment, a concrete jungle, having um, the largest organisms that we can have a view of, that is to say trees, uh, in our midst, um, buffering the heat, uh, the extreme rainfall events, uh, providing habitat for birds, um, giving people who live in those neighborhoods a sense of comfort, um, not just the shade, uh, not just the wind buffering, but also the sense of um, things being right in the world, I think gets a little bit back to what, what uh, Dick was was saying about inequity, um, you know, having, I think, tr tree-lined streets is evidence of public amenities. That the that the state is 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 working in our favor and not against us. That the city is providing for our environment. 
Um, and I think at this moment in history in America, that's really important. And so I vote for, for more trees in San Francisco and, and in all cities where, where they can be grown, where they, they really provide so much. Thank you very much for being guests on the program today. It has been a pleasure to speak with you about this fantastic arboreal adventure. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. So much fun. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was great. Mike Sullivan is the author of The Trees of San Francisco. Jason DeWeese is a horticulturalist and author of Designing with Palms. And Richard Turner is a designer, consultant, the emeritus editor of Pacific Horticulture, and co-editor of The Trees of Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. The three men, all of whom identify as tree geeks, got together in the early days of the pandemic and put their imaginations and frustrations to work, creating self-guided, pop-up, sidewalk-chalked walking tours of the trees of the various neighborhoods of San Francisco. In the process, and at a time of high rates of emotional isolation for many, These three tree geeks encouraged a city of humans to get outside into the fresh air and meet and know better their beautiful and interesting tree neighbors all around them. Join us again next week when, between the new moon and full moon of December, we begin our preparations towards the winter solstice on December 21st in conversation with gardener and award-winning poet Camille Dungy. You won't want to miss this trophic cascade of a conversation. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at the top of cultivatingplace.com and made possible by partner support from the California Native Plant Society and the American Horticultural Society. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, producer and development director Sarah Bohannon, and we are grateful for tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. If you don't hear Cultivating Place on your local public radio station, you can tell your station managers they can find it on PRX. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.